Hi, everyone. Today, we have Wanda Walker with us here today, and we're going to be talking about contemporary fiction, particularly one of her works. Hello. Um, today, we're talking about The Reflections of the Desperate and Dumb by Wanda Walker, which is a slice of life story set in contemporary Los Angeles revolving around Justin Perkins, a 20-year-old Uber driver dealing with a past heroin addiction and with a chaotic love life. The last time we talked to Wanda Walker, we discussed her fantasy novel, The Duke's Prisoner. Um, the setting is radically different because that was a, a fantasy story. So this has implications on every level, themes, tone, characters, and so on. So my first question for you, Wanda, is, how do you find writing contemporary fiction versus writing fantasy? Which aspects are easier and which aspects are more difficult? Um, well, um, contemporary is a lot different in that I don't have to do much research or world building. Um, so I find it a lot easier to write, you know, kind of just, especially because my contemporary tends to be romance and character driven. There's not a lot of strong plot lines so it's kind of a lot easier a lot faster um I can like sit down and type out a chapter real quick um and the voice is more similar to mine I don't have to like use I don't know I mean I do use some vocabulary but, but like people tend to use a pretty basic vocabulary so I don't, it's just a lot easier to write um I mean, I, I love the world building of fantasy. It's like the thing I love more than anything, but um, it is, those two tend to have more plot. And so it requires a little bit more, um, you know, paying attention to what's going on and what you want to keep and what you want to um, get rid of or what things you want to um, ignore so that you don't get too distracted and, contemporary you can kind of wander in and out a bit and you can either be like oh it's a little later which tends not to happen or um you could just be like well you know it's like a character building moment you know um plus it i guess this the similarities between the two though is that i do tend to really lean towards uh how people deal with trauma in some regard um but the trauma is, tends to be different you know like in fantasy it tends to be war or something like that and in contemporary it's more personal trauma either like bad relationships with parents or or you know with Justin it's a it's his past uh cocaine addiction and um that sort of thing so I don't know if one's more difficult than the other I, I mean I would say the fantasy is more difficult technically um, but I find them both compelling to write and I get, ex it's easier, I think, for me to get a little bit more excited about the fantasy because it's like, I'm eager to like write the world and like figure all that stuff out. But contemporary is easier when I like sit down and write out chapters. I can just like, you know, so much, and so much I think in the contemporary is dialogue and dialogue is like really easy. Like, I really like writing dialogue contemporary dialogue and it it um it just flows really easy and so that's that's what makes contemporary 
simpler for me because the dialogue obviously can just kind of mirror my own daily dialogue. Mm -hmm. I I see. Yeah. It is definitely easier, I think, once you, because in contemporary, you can focus more on the characters and the dialogue and not focus as much on the world building, which can be overwhelming at times for some people who are just starting out with fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it gets kind of like describing places that other people can't see. Like, I don't have to describe places in contemporary fiction because like, you're just like, okay, here's this plaza that's in this city that actually exists. Whereas like in fantasy, you're like, oh, I have to describe this whole architecture and everything like that. And I might not have all the words to do it. And um, I don't have like some people really like describing places and I don't. So it's always like those are the hardest scenes for me to write. It's just like describing a place because I'm like, can I just draw it <laughs> instead of writing it out. But yeah, um, yeah, that, that that difference is does make contemporary easier. Mm-hmm. Um, Fortunate games. Uh, your uh, story, Sam in New York, is also a slice of life and in a setting, well, not really contemporary, but close enough to the present day, right? It's the, well, the century we were born in, so it's almost contemporary. How do you relate to Wanda's experiences writing this genre? I, I agree with, you know, the fact that it is easier to write at times because the focus can be directed towards the characters um, and the dialogue and you don't have to, you know, think about how they would speak, especially if you're writing like, you know, a his- historical setting that is much far more removed, like the medieval times or like, you know, Shakespearean times, they all spoke in a different way. And sometimes people take creative liberties and make them sound more modern, but then how authentic does that sound? I think sometimes when you think about tone and how characters should sound in historical settings, sometimes a lot of people make them sound very like, you know, old style and a bit more complex than it should be. And sometimes I think it's hard to write as a writer, you know? So choosing a more contemporary setting kind of alleviates you of that burden of having to change your tone and make yourself sound, you know, like a a Shakespearean kind of thing or something that's very, you know, very long-winded because a lot of the older works seem to be more Mm long-winded. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But um, what do you think, um, both of you, about writing contemporary fiction, but in a different setting than the one that you you live in? I don't know, a different culture. Would that be similar to writing something set in a different time, or would it still be easier? I think it would. You mean like me writing a different real culture, like contemporary in like Mexico or something? Yeah, exactly. I would, I, I would feel very um, uncomfortable doing that just because like I'm not from that place. Um, so with fantasy, it's kind of like, okay, I can just make stuff up. Um, so, I mean, that's why I tend to try like contemporary. I don't want to stray too far from who I am as a person in my experiences, just because like, I don't want to screw it up <laughs> or something like that, you know? Um, like I will do obviously characters who are very different than me, um, but not really from a cultural, I mean, some, some cultural, but I would like, I would tend not to want to go to like other countries and, you know, I'm not from those places. So it would be hard. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think for Tunis games? Um, I am writing about someone who is from a very different culture, a completely different ethnic group, and speaks a different language. So I think, I mean, he's American, and I'm not American. <laughs> so that's another difference. And basically, um, but there is something in common, and basically that we're both diasporic people. You know, his parents, well, I was an immigrant myself, but then um, Sam, my character Sam, he is born in America, but his parents are immigrants. So he and I have both had the, I guess, the experience of being considered an other in society and not being quite part of the mainstream society per se. And I basically based a lot of his experiences about like, you know, dealing with these cultural experiences based on mine. But everything else is more like, I think it's historically based as well. So even though he is from a different culture, I think it's not that difficult because it's in a contemporary context. So it's not heavily cultural. I don't mm -hmm. have to write. And he's also an atheist. So I don't really have to go into any like, you know, religious ceremonies or me misinterpreting any kind of religious beliefs. Right, right. So, so that does make it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Yes, because um, I, I, I know what, what both of you mean, because uh, with me and what, what I find very easy with uh, historical literature is that there is no uh, Norseman coming to me and saying, no, this is not how we did things. <laughs> I will never have that problem because even modern Scandinavians uh, cannot know exactly how things were done. So they cannot really contradict me unless they are uh, experts in medieval times. So indeed, writing in a, in a contemporary setting and in a very different culture than your own does have even more problems than writing uh, historical fiction from this respect. Mm -hmm. As I do think, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's so, it's uh, so hard when you're not face-to-face -face sometimes. <laughs> Just keep on cutting to each other. Yeah. You go ahead first, sorry. Okay, um, I will say that like, in, in regards to like American, I do think like American culture, especially like movies and stuff is like so permeated through the world that, and I don't know of like any Americans who even if their culture isn't, isn't shown correctly would be like offended because like, <laughs> You know, like, I, I, I don't know. It's, I feel like anytime I go to another country and I'm like, oh, here's this cool cultural thing I want to share with you. They're like, I already know about this. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it, some, some cultures are like more permeated in, than others um, and might be easier to show and that sort of thing, so. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think <laughs> so. as American, I mean, I think like there are some British people who will like sit put some stuff in their American. I'm like, mm, I don't think that's right. <laughs> but outside, like, I'm never like, I don't know of anyone who would be like offended. I mean, Americans are kind of like the one everyone makes fun of, so we're all kind of used. To <laughs> that's true, and I think there's like so much variety in the American experience, right? Um, Especially yeah. in the 20th century, because in my book, in my, my graphic novel, I'm exploring the the Great Migration, where a lot of you know um, people from Eastern Europe and Southern Europe were immigrating to America, 
And, you know, as someone who's not American, I always found this very fascinating because, you know, growing up, I always thought America was like, you know, kind of someone like George Bush, you know, someone who's been there for like 400 years or something, right? <laughs> like that's like the prototypical American, you think they only speak English. They have a last name that sounds, you know, vaguely British or I don't know, something else kind of mixed in. But like, there's other kinds of Americans, as I realized when I took a university level course that was about American literature. And we read a wide variety of um, writers and you know people. And I learned a lot about people in America that I didn't know about before. You know, there's people in New Hampshire, I think, or Maine who are French Canadian, but they've moved to America for many generations. So they also have a different experience than people who are, you know, like George Bush, for example. There's like so many regional differences. And, you know, of course, immigrant cultures like Italian American, Jewish American, you know, Irish American. There's a lot of different cultures in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I explore that in my work and, you know, think about what does it mean to be diasporic? What does it mean to construct an identity in a, in a country and in a world where identity is constantly in flux? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that I think only a contemporary setting can explore. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in olden times, like, you know, Heliford knows, you know, back in those older days, most people didn't move around that much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like you lived in your one village and that was it. Mm -hmm. And some people didn't even have a concept of belonging to a country because they were so isolated. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, so this is one theme that is only possible to explore uh, to this extent, at least only in, in a contemporary novel. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, the focus on identity and creating an identity, I think that's mostly a modern thing, too, because I think I did take a history course a few years back where they talked about how, you know, in the past, a lot of people didn't really think about these things. You know, they were just, yeah, the son and daughter of this person. You know, they lived in this village. They belonged to this religion, you know, for societies where religion was important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they belonged to this king or emperor or, you know, they had this kind of uh, you know, this is what they did for a living. So that was their identity. They didn't really think about, you know, I am this ethnic group living in this country. And, you know, I don't want to assimilate, but then, you know, I want to be part of the society as well. Like they don't have these kind of concerns that modern people, especially those who move around a lot have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Identity was less, was a lot more, um, you know, it was a lot tinier back then because, like, you could go three villages down and be like, I hate all you guys. You're all, like, foreigners. And you're, like, you're mm -hmm. only, like, 10 miles apart, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, at the same time, I think there was there was a lot of, like, immigration because especially, like, the Roman Empire was all was so disparate. Like, lots of different cultures and different people. But I think, like, the cities were different than, you know, like, your average farmer or shepherd or whatever that's true yeah I think especially port cities were also you know more diverse and there were people with different stories and backgrounds not just you know everyone's pretty much the same and you yeah. know they all came from the same village mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's another thing that is that is a difference between historical versus contemporary 
Hellaborn, what do you think of like identity, talking about identity in older fiction? You know, your character Aiden, he is from Britain, but then he is taken by the Viking, but taken by the Vikings to Scandinavia. So do you think that makes him question his identity? And like, how would that differ if it was in a contemporary context? Um, yeah, that is a very good question. So I think I am exploring this topic um, in, in a way, but of course, um, I think that the, the gap between these two cultures was uh, in, in, in certain respects larger than it is right now for, for the fact that uh, people didn't have so, so much knowledge about what life was like in other countries. Uh, but at the same time, the languages were much more similar than nowadays. So this is one thing that brings them together. It is, it was much easier for someone from England to learn the language of Norway uh, in the 10th century than it is now. So um, this is one thing that, that would make it easier. But yes, definitely uh, the very concept of identity was, was different in medieval times and not only cultural identity, but definitely sexual identity. So um, yes, I think, I think that these topics can be explored um, in, uh, in historical fiction, but in a very different way. And, and, and you'll ha you'd have to know a lot more about the, uh, the culture and the, the philosophy of the, of the culture you're, you're representing, of the people you're representing in order to, to tackle these, these matters in, a, in, a, in, a, in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so uh, back to your novel, uh, Wanda. Um, what themes does Reflections of the Desperate and Dumb explore? Are there any themes that are, um, you know, specific to contemporary fiction, like the ones that we talked about, so something that can only be explored or can most complexly be explored in, in our time? Um, well, Justin is a supremely contemporary character. I think he'd have a hard time existing in any other um, culture uh, or fantasy novel. <laughs> I'm just imagining that now. That would be kind of funny. Um, but in regards in regards to themes, I mean, it is like a rom like a romance novel. I don't know if that's a proper term because it's not. It doesn't follow the romance novel tropes so much. Um, but that's basically the gist of it. Um, but it does explore, because Justin's had a pretty rough beginning of, of his life, or not even the beginning of his life, but like his teen years are pretty rough. So it's like addiction and um, he's had some abuse um, in a relationship during that time. And he kind of got introduced to uh, sex a little bit too early by like people a bit too old for him um, in the party scene and it kind of like those four year or three years of his life were really rough he was introduced to like casual sex and then cocaine at 15 and then he kind of went buck wild with it and um it was only like uh at, at 18 when his life kind of crashed and he uh had to go to rehab and then he lost pretty much all his friends because he basically gone down this path of self-destruction and tried to commit suicide at 18 and he had to like build his life up from there so a lot of it is about 
you know, redempt or like kind of get your life back after um, some years of it kind of falling apart, dealing with abuse, dealing with um, that sort of thing. And him dealing with some personality quirks that um, make it harder for him because um, he is kind of like, he is a uh, character <laughs> in more in more than one way. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of like exploring how his personality kind of butts up against other people's personalities and him trying to work through some stuff that happened because for a long time he was like, oh, you know, it was just a wild teenage years. It's fine. It's cool. It didn't, didn't hurt me at all. And then him slowly realizing that it probably had more of an effect on how he sees things than he thought. So, and his relationship with um, Thad is kind of important too, because Thad is so different than him. And he has to like figure out how they're going to get along and how they're going to make a relationship work because you know they are so different but um the fact that the whole reason like that it works out is because that is very kind and very patient and justin's not used to that so um you know just trying to work through personality differences and work on communication skills like <laughs> mm-hmm I think that's very realistic because, you know, in real life, romance is a lot of the times based on communication and the better your communication, the better your, your romantic relationship will be. Because a lot of the times why, why a romantic relationship falls apart is because of bad communication. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that can be the result of, you know, previous patterns that you observed in your life. You know, sometimes some people are very fearful their parents were very restrictive. So they have a lot of fear mm -hmm. of outsiders. So that makes them less likely to be a good communicator. Mm -hmm. Would you say that Justin's lifestyle and you know the experiences he's had make him a bad communicator or a good communicator? He's very bad. <laughs> he's gotten better, I think, because he's, you know, since 18, he's had a good friendship that was a relationship and then turned back into a friendship um, and he's gotten off drugs and he still drinks way too much and um, has a bit, it, it does some stuff that's probably not great, but um, he's gotten better at it. But like, so just recently there was a thing where he was, he's in a long distance relationship at this point and he feels really lonely and he doesn't know how to say that. So he calls bad and that doesn't answer and doesn't text him back right away and he gets really pissed off about it and he starts a fight and and that makes bad defensive and he's like why are you yelling at me like I all I'd, I didn't respond because I was busy and Justin gets even more mad by that because he's like well I'm your boyfriend you know you're supposed to like get back right back to me how hard is it to write a text saying like I'm busy and like so he escalates the situation like he could have just called and been like hey not feeling great can you please talk to me but because he's like he just he's from like zero to 60 in like a second he doesn't understand that's what he's reacting to like he sort of understands it and when after a while he starts to realize, okay, maybe I shouldn't have been so mean, but he's 
starting to understand like, oh, I escalate situations and make them way worse than they need to be. Uh, and I need to work on my communication skills. So um, it's kind of, I'm, it's hard to write characters who don't understand their own psychosis. Cause like you understand why they're doing it and you like want the audience to understand, but it's hard to like keep that information from the main character. Um, he probably, you know, like most people don't know why they react to things. Mm-hmm. You know? That makes sense. So it makes sense, especially for someone with uh, Justin's temper, right? He's very impulsive. He yeah. can get overly emotional. He can be bitchy when he does so. <laughs> uh, and he's very insecure uh, yeah. deep down. Uh, I mean, sometimes it is obvious, but sometimes it isn't, right? Because he mm-hmm. sort of puts on this mask to, to seem. Uh, more confident than he actually is. But mm-hmm. for the reader, it is quite quite clear that this is uh, perhaps the main reason why he does a lot of the things that he does. Mm-hmm. And definitely for someone like this, it is more difficult to communicate, mm-hmm. to communicate effectively because he's not, he's definitely not an introvert. So that's not really the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, and, and this is very uh, nicely reflected in, uh, in the tone and the voice of the entire novel because the novel is written in, in Justin's voice, right? So his, mm-hmm. his character, all his, his traits dictate uh, the way that the novel is told. Mm-hmm. And, and this makes it, um, uh, this definitely makes it a, a fun and uh, a clever writing and very amusing. A lot of the times, <laughs> yeah, he his voice comes very naturally to me because he kind of has a, like this sarcastic sort of self-deprecating way of speaking. And this is what I like about contemporary is that you can take parts of your own voice and kind of like put them in another character. I mean, Justin's like completely different than me, but I would say like his voice is similar to um, my own. So in that way, it's. It's, it's fun to write him because he just has like, he's just like, a, <laughs> he's just a fun character to write um, because he is so reactive to everything um, and writing other people being like, what is with this guy? <laughs> like, you know, like jo- Josh, who's Justin's friend is always like frustrated by Justin re- <laughs> overreaction to everything or like, um, yeah, so that, sort of overwrought emotionalness is kind of fun to write too because I like to go off on little <laughs> tangents about I mean I like emotional characters I don't like writing hysteric characters so he really appeals to me in that way mm-hmm. indeed indeed and and that creates uh, an interesting contrast because um well the the reader knows exactly what's going on in Justin's head because we can hear his voice, right? So, so we know what he does wrong, but he's not aware of what he does wrong exactly. It's not that he isn't a perceptive guy, maybe he is, but, but his impulsivity just gets in the way of that mm-hmm. all the time. So, yeah. um, so, 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 so this is part of what, what makes it interesting to write side and to read um, such a perspective as Justin's. Mm-hmm yeah yeah he's um in I like writing him because he also is he's self-aware a lot of the time but he like can't stop himself so like he'll completely know that like if he 
goes to some guy's house and they have sex he's like this is a terrible idea like i'm not even attracted to this person why am i here but he does it anyway you know <laughs> like, okay well it's fun you know i don't and then you know he, then he wakes up totally hung over the next morning and he's like why did i do that and then he just does it again <laughs> it's like why but he does know that he's he's you know that he probably shouldn't be doing it but you know uh he does it anyway and so I, other time she's other times he does it because he doesn't know how else to react right yeah. and he feels threatened like the way he acts with uh, uh eddie essie right and yeah. uh, uh he's really bitchy when essie's just a nice person overall yeah. and then he realizes that but it's too late he has already uh spent yeah. time what, what he shouldn't have yeah yeah and even like once he knows that she's she's fine and she's not gonna fight him he's always like still like are you, are you gonna fight me because <laughs> because i'm kind of scared of you but i'm also super jealous of you yeah so mm-hmm. um he can't help himself so how would you say that you tackle romance there are a lot of tropes in this genre how what do you try to avoid in terms of tropes and what kind of tropes do you employ if any in reflections uh, there are so many tropes and um, that it, it's partially why sometimes I'm like, I don't even know if it's a romance because romance has its tropes. It's like, that's the whole thing of romance is that you've got the tropes. I, something I've become especially um, cognizant of since I've like followed some romance authors on Twitter and when they like pitch their books it's always like it follows this trope like it's very standard in that genre to be like yes this is a literal trope and I'm advertising it because people want to read this trope and so I tend not to go with tropes because I do, I'm not there are like some tropes that I like but I wouldn't like read a book solely because of that trope. Um, so, I, and I tend to just write whatever when, in regards to chem, ten, contemporary, like whatever character interactions I find interesting. I'm not like wanting to force them into like, there's only one bed kind of thing, <laughs> which I had the option to do. Well, which I did do actually in reflections, but it was like really played down because I didn't want it to turn into like whole thing. Because um, he went to Las Vegas with Thad and his two friends, and they had one bed, and then he and Thad were in the other, and like nothing happened, and it was it was like I said, played down because I just didn't want to turn it into like a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I would say that things in romance. I mean, I'm trying to think of like tropes that really make me and there's a lot of stuff in romance that makes me mad i like like i love to read romance but um there are only some that i like really like it's kind of just like candy you just kind of like pop them in and you're like oh that was fun um so i guess like there's a lot a lot of times there's like the stoic super manly dude and then there's like the more even in, in like straight romance, there's like the woman who's either, uh, she's like too busy. She doesn't have time for a man. <laughs> so common. I'm like, oh my God, it's not that, I mean, how busy is your life? Um, and then in like uh, gay romance, it tends to be like 
there's like a more feminine, more sensitive one, um, which I'm not even going to be like, oh, that's bad because sometimes that's how it is. Um, I do not like how a lot of effeminate men are portrayed as like super, I don't know, like super sensitive and not that Justin's not sensitive. <laughs> he is very emotional, but not in that way. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like start crying at like, and that's the thing because I'm like, if you are like an effeminate boy growing up, in, like you get tough really fast. Like you're you don't turn into like a little baby. <laughs> that's that's my issue. I'm like these these guys. Um, I mean, there's a reason like drag queens tend to be like extremely funny extremely tough is because they've had to deal with so much crap in their life so I always feel like if you're gonna show an effeminate man he needs to have like a backbone because he's been eating crap for a long time so that's um the trope and that I don't particularly care for in gay romance because I'm just like I don't under and it's to me it's like okay so he's supposed to be the woman and the woman has to be like the one who's crying all the time I don't know yeah. I don't like it when they like cry at everything because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know that many men who cry all the time. I mean, I'm all for like, you know, getting rid of gender stereotypes or whatever. But when it's like an effeminate boy who's just like cries over everything and is like obsessed with Disney movies, which is a thing. And a lot of the, I'm like, why is, it's just, they're just kind of like childish to me. Like they're, I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird. So I'm really... I, I love writing like effeminate male characters. I, I just enjoy that type of character. And I like them because they're so tough. Like they, they have to fight to exist in a world that doesn't want them around. So usually they tend to be more like funnier and more sarcastic and like a little bit, little bit mean when they need to be. Um, and so that's kind of the trope I always push against in in gay romance fiction just because like um i i don't like how people tend to characterize effeminate men i think i think we can do better by them mm -hmm. um and then i guess other like i don't know a lot of the times it's like oh they have a really cute like a meat cute and then there's this whole thing where they're like we can't be together and it's always like to me a lot of the times is that the idea, the reason why they can't is like kind of shallow. It's like, I'm too busy. It's like, dude, if someone walks in your life and you're like in love with them, why would you be busy keep you from doing that? <laughs> um, so I tend to try to have like better reasons why they can't be together. I mean, with Thad and Justin, it just took Thad or just took Justin a while to realize. And Thad was like, he still deals with the, this guilt over the, oh, Thad's 18, that's way too young, because he was targeted when he was really young, so he's like, I'm a predator, and so Thad's like, and everyone else is like, you know, get over it, but, you know, to Justin, it's a big thing, and Justin feels like a predator, because Thad's so, like, naive, um, he's never been in a relationship before, he's, you know, he's demisexual, so he, he doesn't have this, like, you know, he hasn't had a lot of sexual experience, experience or any sexual experiences. So um, Justin has to deal with that. So like, I feel like that's a little bit more realistic in regards to, oh, they can't be together 
is dealing with your own demons more <laughs> than like being like I'm a boss I'm a boss woman and I can't <laughs> I don't have time <laughs> I don't need a man in my you know like I just like to me I'm like okay I don't know if I, I I buy that I mean everyone there are some people who might be like that I don't know um but I try to find better reasons why people and that is a trip it's like there's a period in the book where they can't be and that's totally fine I'm down with that because um it's great for tension um if they kiss on like the first page you'd be like what is the point of this <laughs> um so yeah, I, I do think like with the reflections in the third book, they're trying a long distance relationship, which I have not seen in romance novels um, done, like tried. I mean, the the buildup for sure, but like once they're in a relationship, then they're together, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I do kind of, I mean, in when I originally wrote it, it was Thad's grandmother was like super homophobic. And when she found out about them, she's like, we're going back to Alabama. You're not allowed to talk to him. And so, and then I changed that. Cause I was like, come on, they're like, he's like a teenage boy. And, and Justin's like, you know, super, he, you know, he's, he, you can't, he has to talk to him all the time. So I'm like, I don't think you can keep them separated. Like, I really don't like, you know, how would you even feasibly do like keep them from talking to each other because mm-hmm. phones and the internet and everything like I don't think that could happen so I changed it around to make it a little bit more feasible so mm-hmm. this way they're still apart but they can you know have a relationship and still deal with all the emotions that come from that so so but would sad even go back to Alabama if that was the reason yeah, because we feel that the reason why he chooses his grandma over Justin is that he really loves his grandma and she's super nice, right? Mm-hmm. If, if she was that kind yeah. of person who would just um, the, demean him because of because of his sexuality and because of his boyfriend's sexuality, he wouldn't even. I mean, he's old enough to stay yeah. by himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Have yeah, to- I think he was a year younger in the original. Which now I'm looking back on, I'm like, eh, I don't think that's good. Um, that's I did age him up a year, but um, yeah. So yeah, I I do think like she in the original she, she was like kind of mean too, and I was like she's an Alabama, she's like a Southern wo- woman, and like I just I mean I'm sure there's mean old ladies who live in Alabama, but I'm all whenever you think of like an old Southern woman, you're always like oh she brings you in for iced tea and like you know she's super warm and 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 grandmotherly so I wanted to and I just I mean I don't find the homophobia to be particularly interesting theme to write about just because like it's kind of depressing so (laughs) I would I think it's it's more interesting to explore a dynamic in which he loves his grandmother so much that he's like I have to be with her um, when she's sick, because I would never forgive myself if I was in California and she like died without me, you know. So to me, that's way more interesting than like I have a mean old grandmother who's kind of gay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad I really changed that um, part of it. 
and uh, and also Justin's motivation that you mentioned with uh, uh, with him feeling like he's a predator. Uh, that's not. Um, it's it's worth mentioning for our viewers that this is not because of his conviction, but because of what what you mentioned. Uh, because he's had certain experiences that led him to be afraid of that. He he used to he used to date or to to have. Sexual relations with older men when he was younger, and and um, often that damaged him. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, uh, Dylan too, right? He was also mm -hmm. older than him, and they used to date when he was just his age. Mm -hmm. So, um, so these uh, this motivation of Justin is rooted in his own experiences, not because he wants to be a good person, and and he mm -hmm. heard that uh, it's not a good idea to date someone who is very young, right? Yeah. Yeah, because he saw, like, because he sees a lot of himself in Thad. He was like, oh, I was, like, this innocent kid who had, like, bright, like, a bushy tail and bright eyes, and I was, like, ready for the world, and then, you know, I've basically, you know, and then he turned out to get a cocaine addiction and um, drink too much, and then he tried to commit suicide, and he's like, all this was taken from mm -hmm. me by these, like, older men who came into my life, and, you know, like, basically ruined it so he sees himself he's like I would I care so much about Thad I would like die before I did the same thing to him you know and Thad's like this is ridiculous like you're nothing like these people but um you know Justin can't help but but see that and that's a significant barrier between them that Justin has to work through like I find pers like emotional personal barriers way more interesting than like barriers in people like physical not physical barriers but like other kind of external barriers mm -hmm. in people's lives like jobs or or you know sometimes they're like oh you know I'm a rich lady and he's a poor boy <laughs> and we can never make it work and I'm like people have been making that work for <laughs> a long time you know people have been sneaking around mm -hmm. like, so it's a lot easier to get around an external barrier than it is mm-hmm I think a lot of the times, though, like it would be interesting to explore in romance how external barriers can be used as a justification for not facing inner barriers. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, you said the whole rich lady and the poor boy thing. I think maybe sometimes that shows that the woman herself may be too materialistic, you know, mm -hmm. maybe she's just using it as an excuse. In reality, she wants a man who's richer. And, and even though she likes this guy, she looks down on him for being poor. Mm -hmm. So that's one of her inner demons, ironically. And she's yeah. only saying, oh, you know, external factors. But in reality, it might be a reflection of herself. I would love to see more of that kind of stuff where he has or he or she has to face like their own stereotypes or whatever and be like oh I can be with this person it's just I'm just making excuses so that I don't have to face myself and what I think so I would I would find that super interesting mm-hmm because one of the reasons I think romance is a really interesting genre is how it explores the psyche of both characters in the relationship Mm -hmm. you know, explores why they're together and all of the, the, the way they've grown up that shaped them, you know, and you've mm -hmm. been exploring that in your work as well, you know, with how Justin and how he grew up and how that shaped his later relationship with that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Cause we get, uh, we get to see a bit of, of Thad's psyche too. Um, and he's, for me, he's not as interesting to dissect because he did have a, 
Well, that's not true because he did have a really rough childhood growing up because of his mother. We haven't really gotten into it because he's not our, our main character. So you don't, we don't get to see into his head. Um, I think there's a lot that Justin like doesn't know happened because dad doesn't want to talk about it. Um, but since he moved out of his grandmother or out of his, he moved in with his grandmother, he's had a pretty healthy, supportive, uh, ro- um, you know, role model in his life. And he's made decent friendships with people. You know, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's really nice. So lots of people like him. And um, so in that way, he's, he's a lot different than Justin, who's always felt like, you know, jealous of other people's ease with others. Uh, but yeah. LGBTQ representation is something that the Duke's prisoner deals with as well as reflections. But the difference is that the Duke's prisoner deals with it in a fantasy setting somewhat resembling 17th century Western Europe. It is something that you also deal with in many other writings of yours. What are the tropes that you hope to break and explore in your writings about LGBTQ representation? Um, so, I mean, this is kind of, I guess what I don't like is when people are like, oh, this one experience is unrealistic because, you know, it's a trope or whatever. And I'm like, you know, people have all kinds of different relationships. Uh, like, like I said, with like the masculine man and the effeminate man, people are like, oh, well, that's heteronormative or whatever. I'm like, it's two it's two gay men and just because one is effeminate and one is masculine doesn't mean it's heteronormative. Like I think people don't really understand what heteronormative means. I do think you could bring in a question, okay, it was written by like a straight woman and she's basically writing a woman and a man into these two male roles. Um, but I mean, the relationships are so varied that I, tend not to be like, well, it has to be this way. And I've seen people be like, oh, if it's not a healthy relationship, then it's like homophobic. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it works either, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, what I don't like is when like there, all the characters are straight except like the main character. I'm like, I think gay people have gay friends. <laughs> I think that's very common. So I, I tend to give all my characters um, at least one or two gay friends, because that's like imperative. Um, I don't deal with coming out that much um, because A, it's not really my story to tell. I think that's one of the things that other people can't write as convincingly as someone who has done it themselves. I mean, I'm asexual, so I guess in some ways I, I've come out but it was like, it was it just doesn't feel the same to me. So that journey, I'm like, the other people who have been through that deal with that, because um, I wouldn't feel totally comfortable um, writing that. I tend to deal with people who have already gone through that. Um, now in Reflections, Thad hasn't technically come out, but we're not in his head and we haven't dealt with his friends because he did come out to his friends. Um, but I do tend to write characters after that has happened because I, because stuff that happens after that, um, 
I feel like is, is more universal, you know, relationships, exploring yourself, that sort of thing. So I tend to approach it mostly the same as I would any other romance, except uh, they do, I mean, Justin is shaped by his experiences. I think if he were straight, he would not be the same person, wouldn't have dealt with the same. He, I don't think he would be so, have such a um, short fuse. <laughs> I think he wouldn't be like beating people up or whatever, you know, like yelling at people. Um, I think he's shaped by that experience. Um, but I think I tend to, to not lean into it super hard. Um, they're kind of just people having relationships. Um, and make, I do make sure that it's not, like I said, when people are like, oh, I'm gonna make this effeminate man super cry, like cry over everything. I don't, I always come into it knowing, okay, what is this person's, how did this person grow up? How are they, how did their experiences shape who they are? And if you're an effeminate man, or like, you know, anyone who, who's perceived as a man who is effeminate growing up, you're just, you're just gonna be a little bit tougher, I think, than most people, because you just had to deal with it. And so there are certain character qualities that I think them being gay, they would have, um, but for the most part, it's kind of like, okay, they're just individuals um, having relationships and falling in love and having, problems around that. So um, I don't get super into the weeds on coming out and the, and the politics of that, just because I think that's something for um, people with better or who are more experienced in that, have, who've had that personal experience to write about. Um, I kind of deal with what happens afterward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think for LGBTQ representation, sometimes there is that response. There's that assumption that I've seen on Twitter sometimes that, you know, if a story doesn't end in a happy note, then somehow that's homophobic, which is strange. I mean, I think I understand the reasoning. It's because a lot of LGBTQ love stories do end in tragedy, mm -hmm. especially seeing so many movies about LGBTQ couples and they always have to break up at the end. So yeah. the point is that they want to see more happy endings, just like straight couples get. But then for them to say that almost every story that ends in tragedy is homophobic is painting a broad brush. Yeah. And I mean, I think comparing romance fiction to what Hollywood produces is is kind of missing missing the point because I'm like when I read gay, gay romance like literally every story is a happy ending like and a lot of them have like are super soft hitters like you know the themes nothing's too traumatic it's like a coffee shop AU which is always like the idea of like the softest romance you can imagine like there's so much variety in fiction that's not there in movies that I'm like if you, if you guys, if they really need to, this sort of fiction, they could read for years on, you know, books that I've, I found online and never see like a sad ending. So to me, I'm like, okay, well, you're comparing Hollywood to the publishing industry and with self-publishing and all this sort of stuff. I, like, th there's no way you have to come across a, a bad ending if you don't want to, you know, there's so much variety at this point. So I do think some people kind of narrow, have like narrow ideas of like the, the content they produce. I'm like, you've got to, 
expand your, your horizons here. And if you were talking about fiction, then you need to compare it to other fiction. And there's just so much out there. Um, a lot of romance fiction, I mean, both gay and straight is super tropey. So for me, I have a hard time finding stuff that I really like because I do like to have, I, I like to deal with darker themes. Those are harder to find. There's a lot more super happy coffee shop AU stuff. So to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put dark themes in there because there's like not a lot of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think people need to read more romance novels if they're really itching for sweet, happy endings because <laughs> that's all there is out there. Um, so yeah. As I you yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I know that you started this story a long, long time ago, I think 2009, right? Mm-hmm. And then you went back to it recently, I think in 2018 and changed bits of it, updating the technology and some other aspects of the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What yeah. prompted you to go back and update the story? It was bad. <laughs> I'd go back and look at it and I'd be like, this is unacceptable. Um, so, and I kept referencing, because I was doing Rainbow Mansion since 2012, I think. And so I think I went back and started rewriting this in 2016, 2017. I don't, I forget when I started writing this, rewriting it. Um, because people would be reading the webcomic and they're like, oh, what's the original story? And I didn't want to give them the link to the old story because I was like, it's so bad. Um, and there's just stuff like as a 19 year old that like, this could be interpreted the wrong way. I don't want people mad at me. So I'm going to rewrite the whole thing um, according to, you know, modern understandings of how the world works. And I, um, I mean, it was pretty easy. I've, I've been, the character has been with me since, well, I wrote, so my original, the original work was um, Confessions of a Drag Queen and a Girl Named Dot, which is not even true anymore because Essie is not a drag queen. But in my understanding of the world in 2007, this was in high school. Um, this is where the world was back then. Like non-binary in 2007. I mean, it obviously existed, but like the words didn't exist. And I was, I grew up in like a very rural, conservative, religious small town. Um, so there was just like no representation. So a lot of this is a lot of the problem is, is like my understanding of how these things work was very preliminary at that point. So I made Confessions of a Drag Queen and a Girl Named Dot. That's where Essie and Peaches and Dot came from. Um, and then in the second book of that, Justin showed up just to be like a character to make Essie super jealous. Um, and then I got like super interested in his life and that's when I wrote the reflect and at the time it was reflections of a emo cow I don't even remember what it was it was like an email <laughs> emo is not even a thing anymore so I had to like change that too because <laughs> you know and I look back at like what he was supposed to be as a teenager like stuff I'd drawn oh here's Justin as a teenager and he had like flattened his hair with like bleach tips I'm like kids don't do that anymore either so yeah that's why I had to like modernize a lot of these things <laughs> he's still a baby goth in some ways but um yeah so that had to be changed but I just had a much better understanding of him over the years 
because um, when I first started writing that, and this is how what happens when I write a book, I have like preliminary understanding of the character, and as the book goes on, I get that understanding deepens. And so, on the first section of reflections, him as a character was not at all reflective of who he is now. Um, also, because like at 19, I was kind of prudish. So I think I wasn't willing to like explore some things about Justin that I am now. Um, so yeah, I just had to ch change him to be who he actually is and not that first rendering of who he was. Um, and I think he's a lot deeper character and I have much better understanding of him now than I ever did back then. Um, and his and understanding of his relationships. And I was able to take out some of this, like, you know, like I said, with his grandmother, like some of the stuff that was just kind of like, oh, here's some external factors to create drama. Now it's kind of like a deepening of, the deepening of these issues and making it a little bit more interesting than just, you know, your kind of standard, oh, I need some conflict here. Here's a thing, a little bomb that can blow up their lives. Um, so just a maturing, I think it's, 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 it's it, a lot of people don't have you know ten years of a, of writing a, a character, um, but you know he's he's over yeah he's like um, ten years old at this point, eleven years old. So I've been working with him a long time. So I feel like I finally have a really good grip on who he is. So just wanted to reflect that in a new work. Mm -hmm. Hellevorn, I think that you've also been working on your characters for, I think, 10 years or more than 10 years. Wow. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Uh, of course, with the exception of Elf. And uh, it, it is interesting that um, the more experience you have as a writer and in creating characters and worlds, the easier I think it is to, to write and develop a character because everything about Eilf just pieced together so easily compared to my very old characters, which mm. I am still working on. <laughs> so, whereas with, with Eilf, it went very smoothly. So yes, that's right. And it, it's, it's very good to have a lot of time to develop the characters, but I guess it depends on the character and, and the story that you give them. Some characters are more work more smoothly than, than others. Mm -hmm. What do you think makes a character work more smoothly? Oh, yeah, th this is a good question. Um, I think, um, well, with, with Elf, it's interesting because I, I do not uh, identify with him as a person very much. We are very, very different, but I think that uh, the fact that um, he is, uh, well, well, the personality that he has, the way he can be, he can be loud and demonstrative and, and, and doesn't care about other people's opinion of him. And um, well, in, in, in a way, I relate very much to what Wanda said about writing uh, effeminate men, because this is, uh, this is exactly, wouldn't you agree, Fortune is Game, what, what happened to Eilf as well. He had to adapt very well, and he has become a, a master of adapting to, um, to a society that didn't want him the way he was, and he managed to make himself um, successful in spite of that, or maybe because of that. 
because he's, he's basically uh, created his dream job, right? He, he does what no one else has done before him, where wearing women's clothes and, and exercising his profession. So, uh, so definitely it was Eolf that really dictated the rest of the story. Once I had his character with that personality in mind, everything else just, just flowed. And, and, and the way that he, um, he complimented Ingvar, who is one of my oldest characters, uh, and, and they are so, so different in many respects, but the dynamic between them. So it, this is what, what made the story flow so well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to tie it back to what we talked about before, I realized that Eolf and Ingvar are also kind of fitting into the manly man versus the feminine man trope, but then you're also breaking it because as we saw in some scenes you showed me, um, especially when they have, you know, sexual relations, it's actually kind of unexpected in certain ways. It's definitely the the other way around in a lot of respects because Ingvar is the one who seems that that's really manly guy, right? And, and Elf is the one wearing dresses. So you would think that uh, he's the more sensitive and, and more shy and more, um, I don't know, maybe more inexperienced, but it, it is quite the opposite. And, and Ingvar, the, the strong and, and distant and very cold person is actually the one who, who becomes kind of insecure when they are in a, in a sexual context. And, uh, and yes, I, I really enjoyed playing with, with, this, with these tropes and, and breaking them in that way. Because yes, you, you can be very manly, but you can be uh, at the same time, uh, um, well, well, he's also demisexual. So that is one, one other thing that, uh, that sort of prevented him from having a relationship until that point, even though he's 30 at the time. So uh, yes, yes, that's right. I I really like uh, uh, I love playing with these tropes. I think it's very realistic too, because you know a lot of romance novels have the you know in straight romances and gay romances, you know the partner who is more manly and cold. I don't know why they always make him sexually experienced, because in real life, a lot of people who are cold are not good communicators so unless they were getting a lot of one night stands where do they get this sexual experience from they might have a lot of one night stands but they might not have a lot of relationships Mm -hmm. right because that's how I always feel when I see that trope I'm like well you know there's a lot of people in real life who are cold and not good at communication and more often than not they are not experienced yeah yeah that's right that's right that's a really good point and this is what what he also wanted to portray. And also, I, I was also trying to, to break that trope of the, uh, of the famous hero, the, the ideal of Norse society, and what, which when you see it represented, it's usually that he, he's also either a, a womanizer or you just fall for him all the time. But the thing about it's not real like that. Well, some fall for him, but uh well nothing happens he doesn't take advantage of that (laughs) and he's also gay which would really be weird in in the context of Norse society when a a very manly man was the opposite of (laughs) okay we have five minutes left okay 
So, okay. So on moving that. on to the next question, but then this one is a pretty big question. So, you know, we will have to adjust for the time um, okay. after I read it out. So do you think slice of life is easier to write in a contemporary context or fantasy context, or, you know, in the case of Hellborn, historical context? Um, I think it's easier in contemporary. However, fantasy, my fantasy, there is a I don't write a lot of strong plots. Um, it's still pretty character driven. There's usually is a war or something going on that's happening in the background that, that influences them. Um, so slice of life would probably be harder in fantasy just cause um, I think, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if people would relate to the characters enough to just want to see them walking around and going herb shopping or whatever. Um, so, whereas like in a contemporary novel, if you have your characters go, like I had Justin and Thad go shopping for a suit for the prom, like people find that inherently interesting because they're like, oh, I love the prom. Um, we love to go suit shopping and all that sort of stuff. Whereas I don't know if people would be as compelled in for experiences that they will never have. Um, unless it's like ye old prom or something. <laughs> like you took a high school story and just completely turned it into medieval. I do think that could be funny. I think Shrek did that. Um, <laughs> it's actually really funny. But um, I, yeah, I think it's harder to get people interested in like people's lives. They don't have like direct contact with them. Um, I think it would be harder for me to write too because you have to be like super and invested in that world for it to be feel natural enough for it to work. Um, usually what compels my stories is like, yeah, like a war or something going on and that kind of moves the plot along. Whereas, I mean, I'm thinking of like the half-life now is, uh, the first book is very, it's not slice of lifey, but it, it it's basically just, you know, it's like an arranged marriage and they have to figure out how to make it work. Like that's kind of slice of life. Um, but yeah, I would say it's easier in contemporary. Mm -hmm. I think so too, especially with, you know, the amount of world building you have to do in fantasy when it's mm -hmm. slice of life, you know, sometimes you don't have to build certain parts of the world because you don't explore those parts. Right. So then it's mm -hmm. more limited. And at the same time, you kind of get less inspiration, I think, unless yeah. you're really, like you said, really invested in the world. That said, I mean, I'm thinking of a story now, um, that involves, I don't know how it's pronounced. Teflings? They're the people with like the horns. Um, oh. I'm doing one now. Like, and I was thinking it's kind of like Pride and Prejudice-y. Like they go to the city and they have to like find somebody to marry. It's like they're having a season. Um, and so there's not a really like a strong plot, but it's just like these three siblings that are going out and having experiences. And I think if you it's not like a real dark story. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, here's these fun three siblings with their different personalities trying to figure out the world. And it's like a like a marriage. I don't want to call it a comedy, but anyway, um, I think if it's a lighter tone story, it might be easier. Um, my my fantasies tend to trend toward dark, so it's like hard to slice them. Because <laughs> people are like all traumatized and stuff. And you're like, oh, this isn't great. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I think that basically it's uh, it, it goes more smoothly if you rely on universal themes, right? In, in, if you're writing in a slice of life in a historical or a fantasy context, as long as it is something that people can universally relate to and not really embedded in that world, then it can work, right? Like my um, characters of Midsummer going fishing, everybody goes fishing, right? It doesn't matter that it's 10th century Norway <laughs> and they have a conversation and that's the whole story. <laughs> that's true. You can do that. And I think it's also not that hard to put in darker stuff for slice of life. I guess if it's very psychological, like for example, maybe someone committed a crime and then the whole story, a short story would be just them talk, dealing with the demons of their past. I guess it would count as slice of life because it's just this guy waking up and then remembering all the horrible things he's seen and he's done. So that would kind of count as slice of life, but with a dark twist. Yeah, definitely. If, if you're aiming for that kind of psychological thing, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Less than one minute remaining. Should I end and then start again yeah i think so <laughs> okay so what do you think of making your own art for your series you know me and helivorn are also people who are making our own illustrations for our own novels and comics and you know i'm working on a graphic novel as well do you think drawing your own characters has helped you get a better understanding of them and like how do you think it compares to people who commission others to draw their own characters for them um, I would say it's, it's really helpful. Um, I've always said that, like, if my characters are interesting to draw, then I will write them. If they're not interesting to draw, then I don't get as invested in them. And the reason I think I've been so invested in Justin for over 10 years is because he's just like a really fun person to draw. He's got a cool style. And, um, I really love... <laughs> I really love coloring eyeshadow and he wears so much of it that, that I'm like, ah, I love doing that part every time I draw him. Um, but um, I'd say it's it's really helpful too in determining what they look like. I have a really firm idea of what they look like. And I see some people um, will just put like, oh, my character looks like this celebrity. And I mean, that's, that's fine. My, when I, I don't like drawing characters that are like, just standard hot <laughs> there are so many just like you know you look at a person you're like this is a generically attractive person um I don't like drawing I don't find them particularly interesting to draw because it's hard to make them look the same each time you draw them and it's just like not interesting to me to just draw the same person for each character um, so I, I really like, like, I know exactly how Justin's nose looks because I draw it all the time. Um, so I know like he's told bad, like, oh, if I got plastic surgery, I would like make my nose smaller. And I know that because I draw his nose all the time. I love his nose. I don't, I would not want it to be smaller, but, um, and I, I just like know the features of his face so that people can make commentary about it. And like, it's always in the forefront of my mind. It's same with fad, like, he has like a birthmark on his face and I would probably forget that. Sometimes I do that. I'll like write in scars and stuff and then like completely forget they exist. But because I draw him constantly, like I always know about the birthmark on his chin because I draw that all the time. So um, it really helps keep in your mind like certain things about your characters that other people in your novel see all the time and would probably comment on or react to. 
Um, and it's just a fun way to make like unique characters. Uh, so yeah. So do you usually like come up with the idea of what they look like in art first before describing them in the text? That's how it used to be. I don't, it depends. Um, a lot of my contemporary novels, um, they tend not to be people I draw a lot, uh, unless it's like Justin and Essie and the like the OG, the original crew. Um, with my fantasy people, I do tend to draw them a lot before because drawing them is what gets me invested in the fantasy because it's such a, a bigger push. I think with fantasy, like you have to do a lot more. Um, I really have to be invested in it before I go for it. So like recently, like I was saying, I did the, this, these tef, tifling, tefling, I don't know how to pronounce it. No one yell at me. <laughs> these, these, these siblings and they're really fun to draw because they got like big horns and they're all like fun colors and stuff. So that's how, like literally why I'm interested in that story is because I'm like, oh, you could write these people with all their different horns and they're all, all their different colors. It's kind of a fun thing. So. Um, I would say that for contemporary, it's not as important that they be fun to draw because it's easier. Like, I'm thinking a lot of my contemporary books, like, like Pepped Man. I didn't draw much for that. Reflections, I draw a lot just because, like, it's my one of my original stories. I do it at Rainbow Mansion, my webcomic. Um, I just find them really interesting to draw. It's kind of like baked in at this point. Mm -hmm. so. How about you, Halivorn? Do you come up with your character's description first in a text or do you draw them first? I think I think I tend to, to describe them in the story first. I mean, obviously I do imagine uh, in a certain way in my head, but um, some of them are not clear enough for me to draw them unless I I write about them first. I have a lot of characters that I did not draw for a long time, but I was writing them. And um, well, um, but with some of them, um, some of them just popped in my head right away. Eilf, Ingvar, I knew exactly the way they look from the first moment when, when I created them. And so it was easy for me to draw them and they haven't changed over time. But uh, for more minor characters, uh, well, some of them, I don't know, I have not, <laughs> I have certain characters that I don't have a clear picture of in my head. And so even if I do write, even if I do draw them, uh, I, I constantly came back and I said, oh no, I don't think this is how, this person looks. I have to draw them again. And so their drawings, their, um, their designs vary a lot. So I think it is the other way around for me. But yeah, what, what about you? Um, <laughs> I think it depends on the character themselves. Like, you know, Sam definitely as the protagonist, I already had an idea of what he looked like, even at the very beginning, you know, even back in 2015, when I wasn't seriously writing about him, I knew what he looked like. But then like for other characters, like the more minor ones, especially, you know, like Joel or like Frankie sometimes. I mean, I did come up with their original designs last year, but I didn't really start writing about them this year. And it's only after I started writing more about them and creating their character profiles online that I think that I have more confidence to draw them again. Like I have the basic idea of them based on the stuff I did last year, but to actually create 
a, like, you know, a full piece with them interacting with other characters, I would have to have more ideas about them first. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Sam, well, Sam did change a bit from, from the time when he was in Basmachi, right? When he was just a very minor character. But at the same time, the, the main, I mean, maybe certain things changed, like his, um, I don't know, maybe the shape of his face or his mm -hmm. nose or something. But, but the main things, the, the ones that are striking, like his, his hairstyle and that flamboyant way of dressing, those are just the things that stuck yes definitely I think because they're the, the core aspects of his personality you know he's someone who really wants to make an impression and wants everyone to to notice him right he thinks that will make him famous exactly so so those are too much parts of his personality to just to just disregard them so they were created along with his personality mm -hmm, exactly How about with you and Eolf? Um, yeah, like, like I said, with Eolf, I, um, I imagined exactly the way he looked from the beginning because I, uh, I really wanted to explore that, uh, that, that idea that uh, uh, in, in scholarship, um, that, that was theorizing scholarship about uh, what made uh, male practitioners of magic so uh, uh, so controversial. And, and there was the theory that they were wearing women's clothes. So I immediately knew that I wanted to make that kind of a character. I wanted, and I read more and, and, and I thought more about this. And then I, I made my own character starting from this um, idea. But at first, I think I made him more generically attractive. Uh, but then I, but then I thought, well, what if he's not like a, a kind of a Viking Ken guy? I mean, yes, he has a lot of relationships and uh, with both men and women who who find him attractive. But what if they are more attracted to his personality and his attitude, and not so much to the way he looks like? And so I, I gave him the scar and, and the nose and uh, I don't very pointy face, which is not, so it's not really round in, in, in a way that would make him look very feminine, but it's not that strong jaw that uh, Ingvar kind of has, which, which would be uh, a, a male ideal. So it's, it's neither, he, he, isn't, he isn't very much feminine if, if you look at his facial features, right? It's just that he was, um, he's, I don't know, thinner and, and shorter, but this is because he was very poor. So he was malnourished, right? He's not someone like Ingvar who, who, who is very tall and strong because he, he always had a good nutrition, right? So uh, yeah, I think this is how it went. So I, yeah, I, I, I built on it, but at the same time, uh, certain things were very clear in my mind right from the start. Mm -hmm. I think that is like something that we have in common, all three of us, you know, having a strong idea of the character, even whether it's in text or, you know, in, in art, before we start actually working more on them in either format. Related to this idea and this topic is, do, do you prefer comics or novels, Wanda, in exploring your stories and characters? What kind of story do you prefer to explore with each medium, would you say? Um, 
definitely novels it's a lot faster <laughs> that's true um my rainbow mansion was was put together as like i was like you know i might be able to make some merch from this down the road and make some money lol to that that never happened but i'm still doing it um i was and it's kind of like a joke it's like a way of parroting my characters and i prefer it that for that medium it would be really hard to make these jokes in a written medium because I think it's harder to make things funny in a written medium than it is in a uh, visual medium um, because expression conveys a lot of comedy and it's really hard to get expression or at least in my I mean some people are really good at writing comedy um, but uh, yeah I would say that it's definitely easier to write my character especially because like I'm so long-winded it would be really hard um, for me to do a comic that would give my characters the depth that my novels can. Now I have done interludes in Rainbow Mansion that are like more serious and are actually show like the interlude with Bad and Justin that have shown up a couple times. And that I, those are kind of interesting to me because that's like the only time I'm actually serious about anything. Um, but I feel like it takes forever just to get like little nuance and stuff that would take me like 20 minutes to write in a book so I would definitely I definitely lean towards um writing um and I used to do more art that was like uh, you know more you know not so much comics but art pieces that conveyed some emotion and those are I just don't have time to do that anymore but I've had a couple pieces that I think are we're pretty good at like representing how just Justin feels about certain things. He's really, he's, he's really great for when you're feeling like I want to do something super emo right now. <laughs> um, so that's why he was the original emo cowboy. But uh, yeah, I'm, I much prefer writing than graphic novels. Mm -hmm. I'm kind yeah. of bad at like, abstraction and, and doing like, um, visual treatments to get certain um, feelings across. Some people are like really good at like breaking up their panels and doing all kinds of different treatments. I'm like not imaginative enough. So for me, I just like to go the standard route and do it in writing. Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, I kind of like using graphic novel more because sometimes I just don't have the wherewithal or the energy to write so much. Mm -hmm. And sometimes writing can be very draining, I think, more draining than art. So I think I kind of alter alternate between drawing and writing. And, you know, the graphic novel is basically the best way to combine both of it, right? Because mm -hmm. usually what I do is it's not just dialogue. They also have narration. <coughs> They have narration as well. So that is also like writing, not just writing dialogue. So, you know, it's like seeing a certain scene or like going through a flashback where there is a lot of narration. So it kind of feels like writing a novel at the same time, but then you have a lot of art at the same time as well. Mm -hmm. I think and mm -hmm. the fantasy would probably be easier to do a graphic novel because like I said, it's hard to describe certain like things that would show up in fantasy that would be a lot easier to depict I mean, maybe not to actually draw them might not be easier, but you know, like you don't have to describe it. It's, it's just like right there. So you could show whatever you want. You don't have to get into like learning words for architectural treatments or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, especially to show the world and the map and everything in fantasy, it would be really great to have it in graphic novel format. So everyone can always go back to the map and say, oh yeah, here's where this location is. You know, this is what this term means. This is what this object looks like. Mm -hmm. I would love to have like a illustrated novel that's just like, you know, like when you're a kid, you would have like little pages every now and then that would have an illustration. That would be my ideal situation, I think, because that way, if you are struggling to like describe something, you just be like, oh, here's this page. It shows what the castle looks like or what their, their outfits look like or something like that. And that, and that way you're not like stuck drawing a million panels for mm -hmm. one scene, you know? Mm -hmm. Heliborn's doing that with your work, right, Heliborn? Yes, exactly. Even with, with Lucky Wolf, I had uh, one illustration per chapter. So, uh, well, more than one, actually, because for each chapter, I had a larger piece done in acrylics and then several sketches. So uh, it, it's sort of like that. It's not really one per page, but one per chapter. So it's, it's similar. Yeah, but, but I also don't want to give up on my text. So I um, I, I really like the, the words, not to mention that in contrast with what you guys said with historical fiction, I feel that it is much more difficult to draw because you have to, we have to pay attention to a lot of details that you cannot get right because otherwise, uh, well, people can easily criticize that this is not how houses looked in that time, or they did not have that kind of, a, I don't know, a, a a spade or a pitchfork or something. It did not look like that in medieval Norway. That's an Anglo-Saxon pitchfork. And then what are you supposed to do? <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel, I actually feel it is very draining to, to draw my pieces. Of course, not the characters themselves, but if I want to draw a bigger piece just to show, for example, an interior, that's that's so draining because I have to research like everything, how how every object look, and I really hate doing that. I don't really have drawings depicting people inside houses. They, they usually just have a tree behind them or something. <laughs> Everybody has trees, right? Someone will show up and be like, you know, that tree is a newer species of this tree. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And even fruits used to look different in oh, the yeah. So even if you know that, oh yeah, they had, I don't know, cherries or something. Yeah, but they did not look like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. It's, it's really yeah. an experience to, to illustrate a lot of historical fiction. And I'm, and I'm very much not a historian. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I just don't have the making for that. I, I just yeah. love the context, but not to research it in so much detail as to be able to, to draw everything. But I like it when others when others do it of course <laughs> yeah i was i was watching this youtube uh she's like she does outfits but she's also like an a uh, fashion historian or whatever and she was going through like the, her top five shows that did fashion right and i was like listening to them and she was like praising the fact that the corsets had hand-sewn eyelets for the laces and i was like who notices that sort of thing but apparently these people do. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to me. It's like a corset, the corset. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think in writing it is more 
uh, it is easier to avoid certain details that you are not certain about and details that don't matter, right? Because if, if, if your character is in a room, you don't need to show exactly what is on each wall and in each corner of the room. It's not relevant to the story. But if you draw it, you'll have to show it. Or oh, so, yeah, that's, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I had a question for Fortune's Games, uh, starting from what Wanda said about uh, writing comedy, because you, well, you do something like that at times, right? I mean, uh, well, some of the pieces that you write with Sam are, are a really funny thing that they can count as comedy, right? How do you feel about um, showing that in illustration versus putting it into writing? I think illustration is harder because it might be boring because a lot of the the humor that I have is like verbal, right? So then would it just be different characters with a different expression saying it? That's kind of boring. Oh, yeah, and, and, and uh, maybe a lot of it comes from the perspective if it is in first person, which it usually is, at least with Sam, it's always in first person, right? So uh, it, it it's not really dialogue. So jokes that you can slip in. It's it's more like the way he talks and the way he thinks, right? So that that would be difficult to illustrate. So yeah, I think I think that this is different compared to what what Wanda said. This is one one difference between your styles and stories. Yeah, like if, if the humor is more like slapstick, then I think it would be easier to draw them because they're actually doing something, right? But when it's like it's like you said, if it's like something like a dialogue or like a way of seeing something that's, you know, not actually verbally expressed, but you can see it in the stream of consciousness, then I think, I think writing is easier. Oh, and also if, if there are a lot of characters like Wanda has in Rainbow Mansion, that is, then it is indeed a lot easier to show that in, in a comic, in a comic form, because mm -hmm. how would you even write uh dialogues or lines between so many characters like you have there wanda so yeah definitely it, it would be confusing for the reader whereas mm -hmm. in comic form it is uh it, it is the best way to show it so yeah i guess um it, it is very important to adapt what you want to write to the medium that you want to to do it in mm -hmm. yeah. there there have been novels of mine that I'm like this would be really cool adapted to like a graphic novel but I would not be able to do it myself um just because like the way like for one one of mine like it's it's very high society and everything like that I'm like oh it'd be so cool to draw these people with all their like gold jewelry and everything like that and all these scenes and you could really show like the decadence of of this echelon of society it would be great but I'm like I would not have the ability to draw well, I just gotta imagine it. I have one question. Is that really related to that? Wanda behind you, are those Essien peaches? Yeah, that was my, that was a screen print I did in oh, 2012, 2011 at, in college. Yeah. I, I forget what, I can't, I'm not wearing my glasses, so I forget what it says. <laughs> it's like dialogue pieces between them two and it's kind of funny because they say the f word in it and they put this this piece in the senior show and like my grandparents were there oh. and I couldn't even tell them that I had done it because I was like a friend of yours <laughs> so I was like we'll just walk past this I didn't do that <laughs> but yeah it's a screen print 
of them. Mm-hmm. Have your grandparents read your stories? <laughs> well, the, I've made a story back in high school called Zinnia City. And it was about like animal people. And it was like kind of like a pre-teen, like for focus on that audience. Like there was nothing like adult in it at all. So that's why I was like grandma and grandma, my grandma read it, which is more than my parents can say, but I can, I would not give her anything else to read. No, <laughs> no one in my family has read anything I've written. Um, I don't know about you guys, if your family has read anything you've written. Yeah, I showed it to my dad and my mom doesn't really have much of an opinion because she thinks it's really complicated and she's not really into a lot of complicated stuff really because she's like, oh, it's giving me a headache you know, all these historical details and you know, like the fact that they are from a different culture can be intimidating for a lot of people. You know, I don't know all these aspects, you know, I, I never lived in America, so I can't give any comments like that's the excuse they use anyways right (laughs) but then like my dad um he has read it and he thinks that it's scary in a way because you know I talk a lot about how a person's mind works you know how a personality is formed through experiences and a lot of it is based on myself and I think a lot of the times some people can be intimidated by how detailed it is because it might make them think about things that are not necessarily comfortable because I do explore mm. parental and child clashes and you mm. know how Sam goes against his parents because his parents want him to be a lawyer but he doesn't want to and mm. that's something that maybe some parents don't want to read because maybe it might make them feel uncomfortable about certain things yeah. in their own lives. I had to I had to turn my this was the Zinnia City books that I did in high school I turned them into audiobooks I like sat there and recorded myself reading the whole thing because that's the only way I could get my dad to read it and he listened to them all and he he liked them and then I did another book of mine he didn't like it all because he's like I don't like the characters so <laughs> but I had to turn them into an audiobook like with actual tapes at that time he had like a tape thing in his car so uh that was my experience doing audiobooks <laughs> yeah with um uh, yeah with me and my parents it's well, it's more difficult because they they do speak English, but quite basic. So I cannot show them my writings in English. I would have to translate them in Romanian, which I did for some of them, but it's just so draining. And I mm. hate translations. I hate them with a passion because it's just not the same. I, I cannot say those things in, in Romanian. And I also don't like reading in Romanian either so I don't really have the vocabulary in my own language to say all those things because I don't read literally I I mean uh, not not literally things I, I don't read them. Mm-hmm. Uh, relatable relatable I I think I'm better at writing in English than any other language I know it's because you know I went to a lot of English speaking schools you know and it, mm-hmm. at, like over time especially in your formative years if you just keep on reading in English, it kind of just latches on. And then you kind of let go of the other languages. I mean, you, you, keep on, you keep on speaking them, but you don't really read in them. And then it becomes a habit of, you know, always thinking about literary things in English. Is that how it was like for you, Hellborn? Yes, exactly, exactly, yes. Yes, because of course in my language, most of the time it's just basic everyday things. Whereas, mm-hmm. well, my writings go so much 
deeper than that and so yeah i don't i don't really like and and the, the very action of translating something is so boring to me <laughs> so yeah I, I i i've been asked so often why am i not a translator <laughs> because it just <laughs> translating things is horrible so yeah i that's one reason why my family has hasn't read my stuff um, how about your brother uh, my brother, well, he doesn't read very much, so he has read the story with Helgi and Lars, and he found it kind of weird because he read it when he was 17, the, the same age that the boys are, and it is... Um, it is a story where two, two boys are fishing and they talk about the party the night before. And then uh, it, it turns out that they feel more for each other than just friendship. And so my brother was like, oh, it was a gay story. Why didn't you tell me from the beginning? That was so weird. <laughs> because at first I was relating to what was going on because they're talking about the girl at first. Oh yeah, I remember and then that. then it turns into something different and he was, well, I had no idea. You should have. You should have warned me. Seventeen <laughs> at the time. So. Uh. Uh, so that was my only experience. Of course, my husband has read everything, and um, but yeah, just it's just him out of my <laughs> out of the people I know. It's just him and one friend uh, out out of the the Romanians, so the people I know in real life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it's weird. I mean, it's, a lot of the times people in real life are less receptive. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that way? Because I feel like, I don't know why, but like some people, their expression totally changes when you when you talk about, yeah, you know, I, I have been writing a book and it's just like weird. I'm like, do you not want to read it that badly that your expression changes immediately? Like you're just scared of me throwing my book at you. <laughs> yeah, it like, it like shifts between the people who have like zero interest and you can just feel it like vibrating off of them and then then the other problem is people are actually interested in I'm like oh wait I don't actually want you to read this. <laughs> because like you know there's a lot of themes in there and I'm like I don't want you to associate some things with me you know like it just to me it'd be weird for someone to read like sex scenes I write and then like have to interact with them <laughs> like, I don't know I don't want them to like see me in that way or whatever unless it was like a really close friendship or whatever mm -hmm. but like no one has ever offered in my personal life to actually read anything I've written so it's not I mean I I probably don't help because I don't talk about it or anything like that it's weird because like even saying my character's names out loud is, is strange before this year before quarantine I thought it was really weird too but then I started zooming more often with you Helleborn and and Tete as well <laughs> and almost on a daily basis with Tete so I think saying my characters names out loud now is really normal because of quarantine ironically <laughs> yeah so this is one good thing about quarantine <laughs> yeah yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. This was a really great session. You know, I really think we should do more three ways between the three of us. It's really mm -hmm. fun. You know, we learn so much and, you know, we get so much done in each session. It's just great. Yeah, it's nice to be able to talk about everyone's characters in the same, with the same question, you know. Mm -hmm. cool. All right. Compare and contrast. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, you guys. All right, thank you. Thank you, goodbye. Bye.